0: Robert Nauer, once again, talking about the Navy Supply Corps and life in the Navy during the 70s and 80s. Season 2, Episode 1, was all about life going through OCS and leading up to being transferred for my next six months to the Navy Supply Corps school. That was all interesting, and we went through the reading of orders and how you young officers got sent to the fleet. Well, now I'm gonna talk about the first ship I was on, the USS John F. Kennedy, an aircraft carrier, CV-67, and the difference in skippers that we had, the difference in supply officers, our bosses that we had as junior officers, and some of the funny and strange incidents that I went through. Now, whether those same kind of situations would happen today, as opposed to the 70s and 80s, I don't know. I would suspect that they would, because even though technology has changed, people have not changed. And people are what really make up the services and make up the Navy. Recognize that when I was in, there were literally very few women aboard ships. The only ships that women were on were hospital ships and tenders. Sub-tenders and other types of tenders. And yard patrol craft. Uh, Today, that's all different. Today, they command aircraft carriers and warships. But not when I was in. But nevertheless, people are still the same. They have the same crazy attitudes. They come from the same crazy neighborhoods. They come from fucked up environments, bad homes, and and it doesn't matter whether you're talking about an officer or an enlisted person. They all come from different backgrounds, and their brains all operate differently. So I'm just going to tell you a few stories as I go along here about my reporting aboard to the John F. Kennedy, and it was rather interesting. So, once I had received my orders, taken my 30 days of leave after the Navy Supply Corps School, and gotten married to my first wife, a Navy nurse, that was a big mistake, I had orders to report to the JFK, which was not... Yet back in Norfolk Naval Station. It was still out chopping from Rota, Spain. So I was boarded out of Philadelphia onto a jet that took me over to Rota, Spain. And it was about a 16 hour trip. Tired as could be, but excited because I was going to my first duty station. So finally, I arrive early in the morning and course the um, helicopters, most of the Sea Kings that they have on board the carriers, they uh, station the helicopters at the Naval Air Station and they transit people back and forth to the ship, which was anchored out in the harbor outside of uh, Naval Station Rota. So I have got checked in went to air ops, got scheduled to be flown out to my ship, and they told me to get on board. And so this was the very first helicopter ride in the Navy I ever had, and it was rather exciting. Here I was getting aboard a Sea King or a Sea Sprite. I can't remember which it was. I think it was a Sea King. And they give you all the instructions, and, and then we finally take off. And I'm looking around, and it's really different. This is the first helicopter ride I've ever had, so it was exciting. That excitement waned (laughs) really fast once you spent some time in the Navy uh, because you realize sometimes how dangerous helicopters really could be. I'll tell you a story about that down the line. So I see the aircraft carrier, JFK, in the distance. The water is calm the air is calm and we're coming towards this humongous gray hawk of steel out in the harbor the helicopter makes a 360 degree rotation around the ship and then eventually lands on the deck and i unbuckle and get out and i'm in my khakis and um i look around and everything just is so new so fresh so strange First aircraft carrier I'd ever been on board. It was huge. It was just humongous, the size of a ball field, a football field. And they asked me, you know, who you are. And I said, I'm the new dispersing officer assigned to the JFK. And they said, yes, sir, let me take you down to the supply office. So they take me down to meet my first, very first, supply officer which was a really old supply officer by the name of Andy Barnett. He was Captain Selectee, and he was one of the oldest supply officers I'd ever seen, Andy Barnett. Andy was a nice guy. Andy was old school. And his assistant at the time was uh, Commander Bo- uh, Lieutenant Commander Bob Fennec, Robert Fennec. And Cap- uh, Commander Fennec, I came to know really well and admire and enjoy working for. He was a true gentleman, great supervisor, and I really, to this day, at 70 years of age, I told his son, who's now a retired Navy captain out in San Diego, I wrote him an email on LinkedIn, and I told him, I said, your dad was one of the greatest guys that I ever got the chance to work for and he said he appreciated knowing that. Uh, everybody loved Bob Fennec. So, anyway, after I checked into the supply office and they were all excited to have me, I was going to be relieving a, a Chief Warrant Officer 4 by the name of Dickie Forback. And Dickie Forback, Dick Forback was a really old school guy who had worked his way up from a DK. All the way to Chief Warrant Officer Four, and Dick Forback. He was a unique, interesting, nice fella. He called everybody, even if he didn't know your name, and he probably didn't know their name. He'd call. He'd be walking down the passageway, and he'd say, "Hey, shipmate. Hey, Mister Forback. Hey, shipmate. How are you?" He called everybody on the ship, shipmate, <laughs> including me. So I did my break-in with. Chief Foreign Officer Forback uh, went over to his house, met his wife, and we had dinner there. And uh, Dick Forback was a good guy. And here I was, a brand new, young Navy ensign at 21 years of age, relieving a 45-year-old cwo 4 <laughs> 20-plus years difference. And but before they um, got me into my job as the new dispersing officer. I had to go up and check in with the captain's office and this was an unusual thing because you know they had always told us that there were no homosexuals in the navy gay people uh uh-uh. first of all it was against the law to be gay and in the navy at that time which was 1976 and uh, and I had brought that up are you sure there's no gay people in the navy and they, oh no no and if there are they'll be court-martialed It's against the law to be gay and in the Navy. But believe me, there were. So the very first person I met when I went up the the multiple elevation levels to the captain's office and to meet the um, admin officer for the captain's office and his yeoman. His yeoman's name was Henry Morris. And Henry Morris was as gay as gay could be. Oh, my God. So this six-foot-tall black man, and I was six-foot-tall too, comes to shake my hand. And I reach out. I go. He goes, you must be Ensign Nower. And I said, yes, I am. And he goes, well, I'm Henry Morris. He didn't even say Yeoman First Class Morris, which he's supposed to say. He just called himself by his first name. I'm Henry Morris. And I kind of like, well, that's kind of weird. He didn't say, call himself uh, YN1 Morris. He called himself Henry Morris. And he took my hand, and it was the most feminine handshake I had ever had in my life. Because in the Navy, generally, you don't shake hands You in a non-masculine way, at least back then. So, and he had a very effeminate-sounding voice. Hi, I'm Henry Morris, and uh, I shook his hand, and it was very limp. <laughs> and he says, We're so happy to have you here, Mr. Nower." And they always called you Mr. Nower rather than your rank, usually, if you were a junior. And I said, well, I'm happy to be here. He goes, well, I'm going to take you up and introduce you to the commanding officer shortly after we get all your paperwork here. Are those your personal PFR records? I said, yes, they are. He goes, let me have them and I'll get you all checked in and squared away, sir. And I said, great. Uh, Let's go see the captain. I said, who is the captain of the ship right now? He goes, it's Captain Mitchell. As you know, Mr. Nower. We recently collided with the USS Belknap a cruiser, and uh, there were several people lost, and we had fires to fight and everything, and it was a horrible, horrible accident at sea. So we were having change of command in uh, just a couple days, and uh, you'll have a new skipper on board that will be relieving Captain Mitchell. And I said, really, who's that going to be? He goes, oh, trust me, you're going to find out. (laughs) Evidently, they already knew who it was. It was going to be Captain Jerry O. Tuttle, the biggest asshole in the Navy. (laughs) So I went up to meet Captain Mitchell, and he was an aviator, as they all are. And uh, Captain Mitchell was a very kind, nice, uh, mellow individual. And he said, glad to have you on board, Ensign Hour. I uh, hope you're going to do a great job. As you know, I'm being relieved by another commanding officer shortly. And uh, But I felt it was appropriate to check you in since you're a newbie on board. And so consequently, um, I was like, well, I wonder what my new captain's going to be like. So I said, nice to meet you, sir. He goes, I guess I'll get back to my job. And he says, uh, enjoy your time aboard. So I had to transit from Rota, Spain. And it was about a, eh, not quite a two-week trip. It was about a nine-day trip back to Norfolk, Virginia, from Rota, Spain, on board the carrier. And when we got about, oh, two days out from the vacates off Virginia, is when all the squadrons, except for the helo squadrons, they were last to leave, flew off the ship and went back to their respective uh, duty stations. And I thought, well, this is really odd. So the aircraft here, just a short period outside of Vacapes, had no airplanes on board. They all left, except for a few helos, which were out of uh, Naval Station Norfolk. We got back, and we Finally, offloaded at North Pier 12 at Norfolk Naval Station. And up until the change of command, uh, which was, I believe, at Norfolk Naval Station, um, that's when Jerry o. Tuttle came on board. And that was a disaster. So, anyway, Jerry o. Tuttle was a lot like Hyman Rickover. I think they both went through the same. Uh, academy class at naval academy they were both short little fuckers about i think rickover was about four foot eight or nine and jerry o'tuttle was about four foot eight or nine because all i remember one day was when jerry o'tuttle came up to me and he said something like ensign he said you every time you goddamn well see me in the passageway you will salute me is that understood you don't walk just past me. And I, I said, I already saluted you once this morning, sir. And he goes, you salute me every goddamn time. I said, And he came up and he just below my sternum, uh, above my belly button is where his head came to. And so for a six, six foot 21 year old to have to lean down and look at the top of your skipper's head, well, he was pretty goddamn short. Uh, and I was so funny because to see this short little fucker by the name of Jerry O'Tuttle looking up at me, I I, I had to struggle not to break out laughing. And I was biting my tongue really hard. And then he got all pissed off. I'll tell you that story later on. So anyway, we got back to Norfolk and um, had the change of command. And it was the first change of command ceremony that I had ever seen. It was full of pomp and circumstance and all these senior officers and junior officers all dressed up in their dress whites and with swords on and medals all over their body and their uniform. I, I didn't. I was lucky because I was so brand new and still checking into the ship and trying to get the dispersing off squared away. I was exempted from having to stand at attention and be at the change of command ceremony, which almost all the time, 90% of the ship has to be at. So I was uh, standing up in one of the upper deck areas where they have a, uh, a viewing window over the hangar bay, and it was inside the hangar bay where they had the change of command ceremony. And I'm watching the change of command and all of a sudden I see an officer in his dress white and he had already pulled his sword out. And honest to God, this is a no-shitter. This really did happen. The guy had evidently locked his legs up, which you're not supposed to do, and uh, caused him to faint. And when he fainted and fell forward while everybody else was standing at attention... He fell on his goddamn sword. Honest to God, his sword went right through his body and up into his chest. And all of a sudden there was like pandemonium because there was blood everywhere on this guy's dress white uniform. And they were calling for the medics. And and the ca- captain said for everybody to stand at attention except for medical personnel. And they took him to the uh, surgical suite of the carrier's medical uh, suite and they did what they could and then they immediately flew him over to Portsmouth Naval Hospital right across the river from us. The guy actually did survive, but he lost a lot of blood. That was the first. And and so it was kind of a joke around the ship. It says, don't ever fall on your sword. Well, that was a true story of why an officer should never fall on his sword. Because it'll go right through you. So anyway, that was it. And then I got all checked in. I had my Navy nurse wife come and meet me at the ship. And then we were still in love. Uh, Advice for everybody. Don't ever get married as a brand new officer in the Navy. Spend four years. Travel the world. Do what you got to do. And then when you get to be about 28 or 30 years of age, get married. But people who are 21, 22 years of age, too goddamn young to ever get married. First of all, you don't know each other. You're not mature enough. She wasn't mature enough. I've got a big story I'm, and a book I'm writing about that because basically down the line I tried to kill her. But um you're just too young and naive. Now, in the old, old days, in the 40s and 50s and early 60s, enlisted personnel below the rank of E3 were not permitted to get married. Oh, you could knock a girl up, and you were not permitted to get married under any circumstance. It was illegal. And if you did, you got in a lot of trouble. Uh, But then in the 70s, late 60s, 70s, the navy relented and said yeah okay enlisted personnel can get married everybody can get married well, that's been one of the biggest problems that the military services have had is by allowing young immature teenagers to get married and young immature officers to get married because you are immature i don't believe you're really mature until you're about 25 26 and in today's environment shit probably not till you're 35 but that was the case back then and um, the rest of the ship had cleared out and I was like one of the last people off the ship because I was still getting used to my office squaring things away and life was good life was exciting the Navy was new and I had yet to really get to know Captain Tuttle Jerry O and by the way Jerry O Tuttle recently died about I guess about a year ago and uh He was an asshole, but there are a lot of assholes still out there. There's a lot of really great skippers, great human beings, terrific leaders. There's a few turds out there, too. Um, In the transition from the old Navy to the new Navy, the modern Navy, there were many old school captains from the old school that had really bad attitudes. They were drunkards. Uh, they drank a lot aboard ship. Uh, they abused their people because they could get away with it. The new Navy does not allow for that. And a cap commanding officer or any commanding officer that is that way will be booted out of the Navy or told to retire immediately if they're brought up on charges for abusing their people. But in my day, it was still okay to abuse your people, to abuse your officers, to abuse your enlisted, and just be a total asshole. Captain Mitchell was not that way. He was a great guy. Jerry O'Tuttle was an asshole. The guy who relieved Jerry O'Tuttle when we were in Brest, France, was a terrific guy. And I think his name was Miller. I'm not sure. That kind of rings a bell. But all I remember is the guy that took over from Jerry O'Tuttle was a true Christian, went to church all the time, treated everybody nice, uh, always came around, put his hands on your shoulder, asked you how you were doing. Jerry O'Tuttle would never, ever do that. He might come up to you and say, what the fuck's the matter with you? But uh, So, I guess the point of this is that when you're a brand new officer, whether you're a supply officer or whether you're a line officer or a pilot or a submariner, you're going to have... Many skippers in your career if you stay in the Navy. And if you have one good one, chances are the next one may be good, it may be bad. Uh, It's the luck of the draw. In my case, I got a real asshole for the guy I had to spend three and a half, almost three years aboard ship with. Total asshole. Thus, not a fun three years. Uh, I had other friends that went on to other ships and they said oh my god our skipper was such a nice guy such a great leader he just he's so much fun what a great great guy to have as a skipper (laughs) um i don't know just the luck of the draw but you can never ever be sure that the commanding officer you're going to get is going to be a decent guy my wife had a commanding officer by the name of captain honey who was about six foot four and he was a diver, and he was on the USS Grapple. He was a total asshole. Uh, and the guy that came after him was perfectly fine. So there, there is the point. You can have a good skipper, and you can end up with a bad skipper. It just really depends on the luck of the draw. You never, ever know what you're going to end up with. It's like the difference between having a good professor in college and having a bad professor or one that hates your guts. But because of Jerry O'Tuttle being such a weird asshole, uh, I have some tremendously funny stories to tell about my time with him. And so that's what I'm going to tell in the very next episode, which will be episode number three of season two, Life with Jerry O'Tuttle, now deceased. So with that, I'm going to say... It's Bob out.